Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, public outcry causes a photographer to drop a copyright lawsuit. Tamron and Nikon are readying built-in image stabilizers in their tele-extenders. And Steve Simon joins in kind of randomly. Plus, an interview on photo sharing sites with PurePhoto.com CEO John Ellis. It's Saturday, February 26, 2011, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to another episode of TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Miss Nicole Young, Mr. Ron Brinkman, and Mr. Joseph Linaski. Hey, everybody. Hey. Howdy. Hello. We've got a jam-packed panel here. This is amazing. It's very good. Hey, Nicole, what are, what are you up to over there? Before we started recording, I know you said you were um, you're having a, some issues with your wonderful hard drive. What happened? Yeah, I you know if anyone out there follows me on Twitter, they probably already know this story. But my hard drive on my Mac Pro just slowly started to you know exhibit those signs of I'm going to start dying on you right now, and mm. so I decided to buy a new hard drive and. It's currently uh, sitting with a new hard drive. Nothing's happened yet because I haven't rebooted it. And uh, this is one of those kind of uh, preaching moments of back up your stuff, people. (laughs) (laughs) Because I use Time Machine. So I, you know, this this whole thing is happening. It's really, it's just a big inconvenience because I'm, you know, I'm I'm swamped. I've got deadlines. I'm trying to, you know, that's my workhorse computer. And all it's going to take is, well, like probably like a full day of my computer, like restoring. Yeah, if I'm lucky from the time machine backup. But if I didn't have that on there, I probably wouldn't lose any any like actual work. But I would have to reinstall every single program. I guess I have all my iTunes, my entire iTunes library Ooh. on there. So, mm. um, yeah. but yeah, so I'm 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 okay. It's just a big pain. So, but back up your yeah. stuff, even if it's like something you don't think it's gonna that you have to worry about because it's just gonna be a pain in the butt. Yeah. Wow. Hey, uh, and Joseph Lenaski, what have what have you been up to? Oh, in regards to backing up? <laughs> no. In, in regards to life in general and traveling around. Life in general, you know, I for I, I had five weekends in a row of going to the East Coast, uh, going from the East Coast to the West Coast, which was a little bit ridiculous. But I've been home. This is my second week in a row. Uh, sitting at home, which is quite nice. So oh. uh, it's good to be on the show. <laughs> wow, the travel junkie is in detox. Very nice. I, basically, yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Ron Brinkman down there in Southern California, enjoying the. Is it is it wet down there, Ron? This this morning the sun has broken through, but apparently that's a temporary thing. So Oof. we're back to back to cold and wet a little bit for you know another three or four days, which wow. is the extent of our winter. Yeah, three or four days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, as he brags to Nicole, who's been shoveling snow off of her car. Oh, my gosh. It is. I think I had like four or five inches of snow piled on top of my car this morning. It's And it's snowing nice. right now. So I'm just going to stay in, inside the entire weekend. All right, guys. Before we before we jump into the news, I want to give a quick nod to our sponsor. Today, uh, TWIP is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog and create a website that reflects the inner you. You can display your photos on there. You can create a blog you've been thinking about starting, integrate tweets or an RSS feed from wherever you want, and then wrap it all in a cool theme or design that reflects how you want your site to look. And 
it's really, really easy to do. And, and I'm happy Joseph is on the show because he runs all of his sites directly on Squarespace in his love and life. Right, Joseph? That is correct. Are you so you started off just just so I'm clear you didn't start with Squarespace right or did you you started with something else and then you moved over to Squarespace because it was easier mm, well it was that I needed more so I had I mean gosh when I started it was just like the free what was it called Blogger I think that's owned by Google if I'm if I'm not mistaken yep. just that basic really really simple free thing and then when I decided that it was time to for my blog to grow up I actually spent a lot of time looking at a bunch of different services and I set up simultaneous blogs that you know never went live just kind of in the background on Squarespace and a couple other places and at the end of it i just ended up uh, sticking with squarespace it was the one that was the most manageable easiest one for me to use and the one that gave me you know the tools that i wanted and that was just my basic photography blog and as you know now i'm running apertureexpert.com off of squarespace and it's phenomenal I, I just keep on adding things to it and it's growing and it's like wow this is it really keeps on going with me it's great yeah the interesting thing about that just to link it to nicole uh, you don't have any local files, right? Everything that that runs Aperture Expert and your other blogs is in the cloud, right? So if you right something crashes, like Nicole's hard drive, um, <laughs> you you will be completely safe, right? That's right. Yeah, everything is in the cloud. The only stuff that's local here is is the you know, the, the artwork, my Photoshop files, that sort of thing, and obviously those are backed up as well. So, but yeah, as far as the web service itself goes, everything is up on in the cloud. And I want to talk about that a little bit more later because you're you're. You've been writing ebooks and that sort of thing, and you're serving those up from that site and actually doing commerce transactions from your from your website, right? And how's that how's that going? It works out great. So I do all the e-commerce through a service called eJunkie, and everything basically from there I upload the files that I want to sell, the ebooks and so on. I grab the button code from there and just paste that into Squarespace, into you know wherever, as an HTML page, into a blog post, wherever. It's just copy and paste the code. And then the what renders out of it is a button, a buy now button or a you know add to shopping cart button, that sort of thing. Very cool. All right. Well if you'd like a free trial and try out Squarespace and build your Aperture Expert like site. You can uh, sign up for your your trial at squarespace.com forward slash twip. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out, build a website, and uh, head over to you can I think their their trial is at squarespace.com slash twip. Yeah, I'm just reading through the notes here. Alright guys, let's uh, let's jump into the news. The first story is really, really interesting. I had to read this one twice. So basically <clears throat> the gist of this is uh, a photographer in Tucson. Basically, there was a there were, there was an abduction of a nine year old child, and um, the they had a photo of this nine year old child, or the family, or whomever had a photo of this nine year old child, and they used that in all the broadcast on the news, etc., and all this. And uh, the photographer who took that cried foul because no one asked his permission to show that image. Um, not leading, not leading the witness, Ron. What, what do you What do you think? <laughs> well, even more than that, it was. And just to correct, I think it wasn't actually an abduction. I think it was a, a shooting. Uh, it was a shooting. Year, oh. And the nine year old girl was actually killed. Oh my god! Uh, okay. Yeah, this is the two thousand the Tucson shooting. Right. Exactly. And uh, the photographer apparently, and, and he's slightly conflicting reports, but apparently uh, tried to sue to get. Uh, money for all these news outlets using and showing the photo of this little girl that I think the family gave. So the photographer had, you know, took the photo. It was a studio shoot. Um, photographer 
delivered the prints to the family, and then they gave that to the news media after the after the little girl was killed. And so this photographer apparently tried to sue to the tune of one hundred twenty five thousand dollars to get the you know to, from from the news agencies who ran this photo. Right. And I mean, it's uh, okay. The guy's an idiot. First of mm-hmm. all, I mean, first and foremost, I, clearly it's just incredible insensitivity to a, a scenario and, and just stupid. And you know, you can. I mean, I guess the thing to talk about is. What are the what's the legality of this first of all, and then we should you know I don't think any of us are going to disagree on what's the what's the right thing to do here, which is don't be an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the crux of the story, right? It's the legality versus the morality of this. You know, right? We, yeah. Where where does that where does the line or is there a line? Technically, and I think a lot of people don't know this, and I'm sure the family that that had the photo didn't know this. Is usually when you go to have portraits shot. What you are purchasing is, you know, the the photo itself, the but not the rights to use, you know, to the image itself. So you're you're basically getting prints, and this varies depending on what contract is set up. But usually that that seems to be the case. And you guys can correct me because you do a lot more commercial photography. But usually the case is that the photographer retains the rights to the the image itself, and I think that's what this photographer was claiming. But yeah, yeah, I, it's it is a morality issue. The that's right. He had, he owns the right to the work. He owns the copyright on it. And apparently, according to the story, he actually went to the went and filed that photo with the copyright office the day after the shooting because um, he realized that he had something on his hand that might be on his hands that might be worth something, mm. and he wanted to make sure he had it on file. And he went to the parents and asked for them to sign a model release. So he didn't even do his job right in the first place, which was you should always get a model release from your clients when you're doing uh, any kind of portrait session like that. So they signed it, and and you know this is the day after their daughter's been killed, and wow. they I guess you know from what I gather they were kind of under the impression that you know he was going to be giving the image out to the news corps and just wanted to make sure that that things were handled correctly, but then it turned out that he was just he, the image got out and he started suing people for using it, which is just. Illegally, yeah, he was in his legal right, but that doesn't make it right. And then in the end, he retracted the the lawsuit, correct? Yeah, 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 and apparently claimed that he was, you know, had been planning all the time to give this money to charity or something. That yeah. sounds a little fishy N- to Nicole, me. Nicole, how do, how does this how does this sit with you? Well, I think I think that I agree with what everyone here has said, and I think that the general population of people is going to be like, "What the heck is he trying to do?" You know, this mm-hmm. is this, yeah, legally maybe, but. Is it one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars worth of use? And if the if the family had approached him, if the family didn't realize that, you know, they they technically weren't supposed to do this, then they probably would have approached him and said, "Our daughter just died. Could we please use this photo for the media?" He probably would have said yes. I mean, what you know, idiot <laughs> is going to say no to something like that? And yeah. that's I think kind of the bottom line. He seems like he's really trying to take advantage of a, a really horrible situation and i'm yeah 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 it, 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 well yeah, I, I do sort of I, I would wonder what people would say but i suspect that very few people when they get photos taken have any sense that they don't own everything to do with the image mm-hmm. when it comes back and it's an interesting question in terms of you know what, what are the standards what are the laws there and it's almost like I would suspect that 99% of the people that have ever had photos of their kids or their family taken assume that they own those images. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and they don't. They own a license to the images, right? And that's, well, people, and that's what they're paying for. 
People know that they're not supposed to copy those pictures. So I used to work in a photo lab when I was in high school and we had one of those little booths in the corner where you could go and scan. It was kind of, it was like new technology at the time and people could go and scan their pictures and just have, you know, reprints of the scan. And I, you know, you always, you always could tell when someone kind of sneaks in there and they're sneaking a print on there and then you don't, you don't actually see the the final result (laughs) because they know they're doing something wrong. So there are, yeah, there are people who know, but I think like you said, the general population, they don't know that they don't realize that they don't actually own the copyright or rights to the photo. They just own the print to hang on their wall. Wow. Should they? Uh, I don't, I don't know. What should they own the copyright? Yeah. The picture? No. Yeah. No, definitely never, ever. (laughs) <laughs> if, if they want it, they can ask for it. And if the photographer wants to grant them, you know, sign over the copyright, that's up to the photographer. But by default, the copyright owner is the one who creates the image, and that's the photographer, and that's the law. So, now, Joseph, and- Joseph, you've shot a wedding or two in your day. What, what, what are the, the rights that you grant the bride and groom to those images? Do you own them, or do you sell them to them and they own them in perpetuity? No, no, I own the images. Um, they... Have you know they get prints right? That's what they they purchase the prints and they can hang the prints on their walls, whatever. Um, they if they want a book, you know, you can make a book and they have the book. They have the right to have that book, but they don't own the images. And if they want prints in the future, then technically they they come back to you. They're supposed to come back to you to ask for them. But generally, what I do is once the once the wedding is done, once the the print order, the initial print order is fulfilled, the book order is fulfilled, and it really comes down to the book order. That's the big thing. Then I'll hand over um, a CD of images, and that's only because I don't want to have to deal with it. And I don't want them to have to, you know, call me five years from now and go, "Oh, there was that picture of you know Uncle Bob. Can you get a print a four by six of that?" You know, like it's just not worth your time. Yeah. Um, but those do come with restrictions. They're not allowed to uh, to sell prints from that. They're not allowed to. You know, make a billboard or something. If someone sees a picture and says, "Oh, that's a great shot of you at your wedding," I'd love to put it on a billboard. They do not have the right to do that. Absolutely, do not. Yeah. And, and so, do you, but so here's the other side of it: is is uh, do do you typically? I mean, if you decided you wanted to then sell somebody's wedding photos to a magazine, uh, mm-hmm. do you have the right to do that? Depends on the model release that you had them sign. If you never got them auto release from your bride and groom, then no, you don't have the right to do that. You own the image, but you don't own their likeness, so you can't sell that image. With yeah, them exactly. in it without model release. Yeah, and I think that's the point I was trying to get to is that I think that, that all of that is, is fairly unclear, but there is this distinction between rights to the image and sort of ownership of that and rights to people's likenesses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's sort of not brought up in this, this lawsuit uh, thing that we were talking about of, you know, th- there is still the ownership of the likeness of the person that I don't quite understand how that didn't enter into it. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's a it's an interesting topic. So, Joseph, on when you're meeting with clients initially, do you have that conversation with them so that they're explicitly clear on what they can and can't do with the images after the fact, kind of like a prenup? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, you do. It, it's a it's a touchy area because most people don't don't want to believe it. Uh, I don't want to you know think about that. But yeah, you do. You have to have that conversation. You have to make sure they understand what it is that they're paying for and what they're getting out of it. What you don't want is the conversation after the fact where they're going, well, hold on a minute, but I, my understanding, I thought that I own these images. Why can't I do whatever I want with them? And I've had that before. And it's, you know, I've learned that I need to be even more explicit about it. It's not enough to have it in writing and and have them sign a paper. You really do want to have a conversation with them to make sure they understand. Because, yeah, you may be in the right, but that doesn't make it any fun to have a conversation with the bride or the groom or their mom where they're saying, (laughs) well, how come I can't do this? You're like, well, the rights are you, know, you just don't want to have that conversation. So, but I, I, I do have to wonder because I, you know, I would never do that. I would just 
find a photographer that would be willing to say that I own everything to do with, with these images. And I'm wondering if that's changing and people are becoming aware enough to ask for that. And would you guys do that? I mean, would you shoot, be willing to shoot a wedding where you, know, you give up everything at the end of it all? For me, I don't photograph weddings. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I see things more in like commercial terms. But if, if it were a wedding, I don't know. Does the photographer still want to actually show those images on their website, use them as a portfolio, you know, put them anywhere. Because if you, if you give up your copyright, unless you have some sort of, you know, I still have rights to use the photos, even though you own them clause in, you know, the agreement, you don't have any rights to use your own photos anymore. That's right. So it's real, you know, if I were to photograph a commercial, you know, somebody were to hire me to do things and they wanted all of the copyright, it, would cost them a lot more to do that than it would to just, you know, do a normal release of, you know, here's the license if you want to relicense and, and stuff like that. But, um, Wait, how much more, what would you get? How much more would you charge? Cause I think I that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's really tough. It's, it's really, it depends, you know, it, de- it would depend, depend on the product. It would depend on the, on the photos. If there was something in the photo that, you know, like a brand name or something that really was invaluable to me down the road or I, I don't know, that's a really hard one to say. Now, Ron, what about you? So you, you're not a commercial photographer. You're not doing weddings or anything like that. But if you do take a shot that you're especially proud of, um, what recourse would you take if you, someone needed to use that image for something else? How do you, how do you manage that, or how would you manage the rights of that? Yeah, I, I think it's very much on a case by case basis. And and since I don't do this kind of thing as a, a daily business, uh, I don't really need to establish a policy. I guess is the point, and I can kind of deal with it as it comes up. So it's hard to say. It's very much, you know, if I if I had a photo and I thought it had tremendous, uh, you know, sort of legs on it, something that could have profit down down the road sure i would i would treat that much differently than i took a picture of a friend and uh they want it and i was like here yeah you can always give people the right to print it or say you know give them the permission to do whatever they want with the image except resell it um, Mm -hmm. but you still own the copyright giving people the license to do pretty much anything that you want to give them the license to is is fine it's Mm -hmm. giving up your copyright that is generally a bad idea Mm -hmm. Uh, because then you don't have any recourse and if something you know maybe you photograph a young couple and then the young couple becomes one of the most famous couples in the world for whatever reason Um, you're going to be kicking yourself if you no longer have the rights to those images that is a good point Mm -hmm. that's That's true point all right well you know what i just i'm gonna try something crazy here guys because i uh i just noticed steve simon popped up in my skype list the <laughs> mythical steve simon the mythical <laughs> steve simon is showing his shadow i'm gonna see if i can if i can't bring him into the uh to the fray here i would love to see if i can get his comments on this steve hello steve hello? simon is on the steve show simon. Hi, steve. oh my god frederick van and the twip gang i had no idea you were gonna call it <laughs> You are you. Uh, you do not give up your career as a photographer because yeah, you just ruined the whole illusion. Man. You, you you ruined the whole spontaneity illusion that I was trying to craft oh, here. Thank you. Oh, you know that was you know my best performance in front of the Academy Awards tomorrow. So I was just right. for a last minute slot, perhaps. Not going to work, Steve. Not, not going to work. Happen. Not going to happen. Hey, we were we were just talking about uh, copyright. And how basically the the conversation started from this photographer in Tucson um, who was trying to sue over folks using the an image that he had taken a portrait that he had taken of a uh, a nine year old who'd been slain and oh. yeah so he was trying to sue for usage of that because the media outlets were using it et cetera et cetera so the controversy was that you know this guy 
was exhibit exhibiting sort of um, you know scumbagness of <laughs> of wow. asking for money after the fact and trying to sue and that sort of thing. So where where do you fall on that? There's a conversation sort of evolved into what would you do and how do you license your images in different situations? And you're all over the place, all over the time. If you're in I don't know, you know Botswana or something, you're shooting. How do you, how do you manage licensing of those images or rights or releases and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds like uh, kind of an extreme outside-the-box case where there's uh, probably more moral uh, rights rather than copyright over a situation like that. But, yeah. no, I, it hasn't really been a problem for me. I, I wish it was more of a problem. I I haven't really been licensing my pictures all that much, but uh, I haven't really also encountered the people um, you know, using them without my permission. Uh, I haven't gone out looking for it. Um, as far as, uh, you know, the biggest thing I can tell photographers that are serious about their work and want to make money from their photography is to register their copyright with the Copyright Office in, in Washington. You can do it in one gang uh, registration with a, a group of a thousand images if you wanted and just pay the one thirty-five dollar fee. Um, and that just secures your copyright in the sense that if someone violates you, you can get money from it. Yeah. We all own the copyright when we take the, the shot. It's just that no lawyer is going to take the case unless you've registered your copyright. So, you know, for serious photographers out there, I think uh, every six months, gather together the five-star selects and, and do a registration at the copyright office. And, and who knows? You know, it, it, it certainly would be well worth it if, if you were... Um, if someone violated that copyright, particularly if they're like a big business, uh, you know, and you can collect money. Yeah. I have a question for Steve about that if, without trying to get too crazy off onto the copyright tangent. but uh, Too late, my, Nicole, too late. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but I know that there's a – no, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm – you know, my name is Nicole and I don't register my photos. Um, but <laughs> oh the biggest – I know. Because the biggest – concern for me, well, the biggest, I guess, hurdle that I've tried to figure out is the difference between published and unpublished works. I photograph something, I put it on my blog, I put it on iStock, I put it in a book, you know, my photos go everywhere. And I mean, having to sort through the ones that have been finger quote published versus the ones that are just sitting on my hard drive, that would, that's like a full-time job in itself. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Nicole, one thing I would say, like, you know, just as future workflow, uh, you can uh, sort of copyright. It, it's published if it's posted somewhere on the web, if it's out there. I think it's published. But yeah. I think that if you were to um, do a group uh, copyright of, you know, your whole portfolio, you know, up till now and and call it, uh, you know, even unpublished work because it hadn't been maybe published in print, you know, you, you'd be okay. It, it's just a question of just having that registration in there so that, if something happens and someone tries to steal an image, you, you have some recourse. Uh, you have some legal recourse where you can actually get some financial remuneration from it. But, uh, you know, I think, I think it should be kind of part of a workflow, whereas, you know, if you're using Lightroom or Aperture, you can have all your four-star images are the ones that you're going to copyright, uh, you know, twice a year even. And, uh, you know, then you're set. Chances are your whole lifetime will go by. And you'll never really need to 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 activate the the fact that you've copyrighted it. But don't forget too, it goes into your estates, and future generations will be able to benefit from your your hard work right now. 
So, Steve, where just just to close it off, where where do photographers go to learn about copyrights if they want to just get uber educated on what their rights are and do that bulk licensing that you spoke of? Where, where's the site? Well, you know, there's some great information on the ASMP website as well as edi- editorialphotographers.com. Um, you know, these are the photographers that are in the business of protecting their copyright because it means a lot of money to them and. You know, there have been cases, albeit not that many, where uh, photographers um, have have actually got what they, they sh- should get, you know, when, when their copyright is, is violated. So those are two places. And, you know, you can do this all online. It's really very easy to do um, with the government copyright office. I don't know off the top of my head, but you just have to Google it. Copyright.gov. Yeah, there you go, and and there you and it'll take you maybe you know twelve minutes and thirty seconds, and you're you're, you're done. <laughs> wow, you're copyrighted. It could be the best twelve minutes you've ever spent, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, hey, Steve, do you have time to hang out for a little bit? There's a couple more stories I want to have you weigh in on. No, absolutely. Just to be with you guys again. It's been a long time. So. I know. Yeah, I told her. Huh? You know, before we we dialed you up, I said the the Steve Simon is showing his shadow, so we had to. And to take advantage of it and bring you in. You, very I, rarely are you in the Skype list. <laughs> I, you know, it's crazy. I, I miss you guys, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging around. Sure. So before, before we move on, I know, speaking of you being elusive, you're about to leave the country again, right? You're going to Dubai for something? Is that right? Yes, yes. The Gulf Photo Plus, which is uh, a great – it's kind of like, you know, Photo Plus in New York, only in the United United Arab Emigrants in, in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And I got to be there last year. It was, it was just – great fun um the organizers uh, are just wonderful people great photographers uh, and and it's just um it's going to be good there gregory heisler is going to be there this year you know he's he's just an amazing photographer and, and actually an amazing educator too i've i've got to interview him um, um a time well once and it, it's just just in a very articulate guy about photography and fellow canadian joey l will be there Nice. Um, and who else? Zarius, the the flash guy. Oh, last Zach. Year, yeah. Yeah, Zach. Sorry. And last year, um, David Hobby and Joe McNally were there, but apparently, you know, they're busy making millions of dollars on a bus <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in the United States, so they're, they're just too busy for that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be good. Hopefully, um, you know, on the revolution thing, it'll be kind of. Team. Be careful over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah be careful. Really. You're still cleaning out the sand from last time you went, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's uh, Steve. It's don't of... don't don't change lenses in snowstorms or in uh, sandstorms. <laughs> Thank you, Fred, for that tip. Yes, I'm just saying. You know, you know. Sometimes it's the obvious things that help. You know. <laughs> yeah. One one other thing, I I just want to quickly add because you guys will uh, feel my joy. I'm expecting any minute now. I'm hoping it comes today, but I finally. I'm getting a, a D3S, a Nikon what? D3S. What? Mm-hmm. I saved my pennies for the last two years. <laughs> uh-huh. So that, that means officially that the D4 will be announced tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Steve releases, <laughs> single-handedly releases the cork of the, the D4. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> so, Steve, speaking of gear and everyone on the panel, there's, uh, there's some new gear uh, coming out, um, allegedly, from Nikon and Tamron. They've apparently patented teleconverters that um or the teleconverters that have built-in image stabilizers and i've seen a lens um that are actually the borrow lenses josh norum showed me a photo of this next generation canon lens with all this magic built into it steve have you what you're plugged into nikon you're a nikon 
guy, right? So what? what's the next big lens out of them? Have you heard anything about these rumors? No. I, as a matter of fact, I haven't. I know that the VR is, is a wonderful thing, and it, it really works, although I don't like to depend on it. But it's nice to know it's there when you need it. Um, having a teleconverter with a built-in VR, I guess, makes sense if you're using lenses that don't have VR. Because my understanding was, and you know, this is one of those brain teasers, if you put a converter on a VR lens... Would the VR still work? I mm. I think I think it would, but it mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be completely masked. You you've increased the magnification, thus increased the um, you know the shake. So so who knows? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm still you know lusting after the one fours, all those like thirty five, twenty four, <laughs> eighty five. Yeah. That Joseph be- Joseph, have you heard anything about the the new Canon lenses that are rolling out? I know you're. You're pl- you're plugged into that stuff as well. Uh, yeah, no, there's there's always rumors. Um, I haven't been following it that closely to be honest, but there's always stuff that's supposed to be coming. But yeah, yeah there's there's been a couple that we talked about some really fancy lenses. I tweeted about a, a few months ago. There was something really cool and some like ridiculously long lens that was a, a good combination of size and weight and everything else. But uh, no, it's uh, there's nothing big on that I've that I've been uh, noticing unfortunately. But I mean, that's good because I don't need to spend money. <laughs> I was going to say no new imminent additions to your camera bag. No, no, that's fine. I'm I'm pretty happy right now with what I've got. So fortunately, very cool. What about you, Ron? Ron, you're you're. Uh, I remember I, last time you you were we spoke. I don't know if it was in person or on the show, but you mentioned something about a point and shoot that you were lusting after. What's uh? Have you picked that up or what's the deal? Well, no, I, I think what we talked about is I'm still considering a four third micro four thirds kind of a scenario. So, uh, which one are you looking at, Ron? That's that's the tough question. It's the, um, <laughs> uh, the I like the Panasonic lineup and the and the uh, GH two. I guess it is. Uh, it's sort of a nice yeah. all around GF two rather. Yeah, and yep. um, but the sensor on that one I think is a little bit older. The new uh, Olympus Pen has got a slightly better low light performance, but it's got other things, and the video is not as good. So it kind of feels like we're at that point where i'm hoping something happens in the next six eight months and then there's always the rumors about uh, either nikon or, or canon coming always out. always joseph you're still walking around with your pin right don't you have an no pin? no no and actually i was gonna say if we can derail the show a little bit we can talk about this a bit because i do yeah. that's something i have done some research on the um derail no, away i'm always i'm ready to derail <laughs> go for it <laughs> and off the rails we go uh no the the micro four third stuff i had gotten rid of my pen last year and was looking to replace it and um in November, I went to Thailand, and I wanted to bring something smaller and more compact with me uh, just as a street camera. And when I was at Photo Plus, I had discovered the relatively new world of APS-C size sensors in a, a rangefinder-type camera body. And there's only a couple of them out there. There's Leica was the one that I found first. That I, wanted, I think it's called X10. I could be wrong on the model. Um, quite expensive, obviously. It's a Leica. It was like $2,000 body. Um, and I played with that at the show, and I was you know, really starting to lust after this form factor because it, it goes back to that pen-sized camera, but it's a bigger sensor. It's not the Micro Four Thirds. It's APS-C, which um, for the non-geeky out there, that's the, that's the size sensor that you'll find in your Canon Rebel or basically any Canon camera that's not a full frame. Um, same thing with Nikon. It's you know, relatively the same size. Yeah. And so you get a really big sensor, which gives you really nice shallow depth of field in a really small camera. And it's kind of the, the holy grail of the point-and-shoot, if you will, for professional photographers. You know, you're going to expect to pay for it, but you'll have something really sweet to carry around with you. And let's see, Sony, I, I don't remember the model names offhand, but Sony's got one um, that was really a nice little camera, but it was very electronic 
feeling. The whole interface is all all buttons and touch interface and stuff. And I really liked the classic styling of the pen. And I didn't want to get the pen again. And I, what I ended up going back to or going to was the GF1, the little yeah. uh, the Panasonic Lumix GF1. And I bought the one instead of the newer two because the two removes the big mode dial on the top. And I like the dials. I like a big old dial on top that I can switch between automatic and you know aperture priority and shutter priority and so on. Yeah, yeah. They went uh, to they went to the uh, like a touchscreen interface instead, uh, which yep. is kind of interesting. But I, I agree, and that's that's part of my consideration here. With uh, the, the newer one has got. It's got a better video capabilities than, than the mm-hmm. GF1 that you have, but it's uh, yeah they kind of they made it a little bit more consumerish, I guess. Ron, there's a, a lot of buzz. You've probably seen this camera. It's just coming out now. This Fuji X100, yep. I think it is. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. yeah. I've seen that. The, the knock on it, I guess, if it's a knock, is that it's only you know it's got a fixed lens, but it's a fixed fast lens. Those of you guys old enough to remember, it kind of reminds me of. Remember the Konica Hexar that came out in the film days? Oh, you, you kids are too young. <laughs> but but it's, it's got a big sensor. It's got it's kind of kind of got a retro design, and uh, a lot of people that I've talked to are really kind of excited about that as a carry around camera. So we'll yeah. see. Nicole, you're still using your 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 was it a G10 that you were carrying around? Are you st- no, I don't have I don't really have a point and shoot. I have like an old Nikon cool pics, but I don't use it. It just kinda like sits in a drawer. Because yeah. as far as point and shoots go, I pretty much just use my iPhone oh, wherever I go. Gotcha. You know, I always have it with me and I just am basically just trying to show a scene and I have, I've actually gotten some really I actually have a photo hang hanging on my a pretty large size, like a 11 by 14 or 16 by 20 hanging in my office that I printed from an iPhone photo. Really? <laughs> nice. so, yeah, it's kind of artsy. It's it's just like water drops on a window, but it, it looked really cool. I edited it through the Camera Plus app, and I was like, this is really neat. And so I've been trying to print something every month, and I was like, I'm going to do an iPhone picture. That's really cool. Lisa Lisa Bettany will be happy that you're using Camera Plus. <laughs> it's, oh, that's like my favorite. I go between that and Hipstamatic, but I oh, ever since they updated the Camera Plus and it's back in the iTunes store, mm-hmm. and they added some like rest retro film uh like techniques and stuff to or effects to it that's that's my go-to camera app on my iphone it's awesome awesome all right guys we're gonna move on here keep things flowing i want to do a quick announcement here um if twip listeners if you're interested in helping create this week in photo or twip um, we're looking for some talented folks to help write for the site. If you're interested in, in putting some words on the blog, head over to thisweekinphoto.com forward slash contribute, and there you'll find information on how to apply. All right, now, um, this, is just, I, this show is just chock full, man. What, what's up, Ron? No, I just wanted to encourage people to do that because uh, I, you know, I always come across random little blogs that have good content, but I don't think get that much of an audience. And, uh, you know, if you're putting together a blog and you've got a lot of content and stuff, but you're trying to figure out how to get the word out to more people, uh, I think we can kind of produce a wonderful thing together. Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a way for you to drive traffic back to your blog as well as to contribute to the overall photography community because, you know, within your blog post, you can link to wherever you want to link to. So, yeah, again, thisweekinphoto.com forward slash contribute and join the fray. All right. Um, like I was saying, this is a, this show is full. We've got what five hosts or five people on the line. <laughs> Skype is holding up. Knock on wood. Um, and now I want to uh, do a, a quick intro to the, an insert that we're going to put in here. Um, I did. A, I had a, the chance to sit down with John Ellis. He's the CEO of PurePhoto.com, and we talked about the state of Flickr, SmugMug, and the overall state of the photo sharing industry. 
and it was kind of a raw discussion there. He was uh, pretty candid about where things sit with regard to Flickr and how Smug Mug is coming on aggressively and and where they fit in that overall picture. So give this interview a listen. I'm here with Mr. John Ellis. He is the CEO of a company called Pure Photo. You can find him at purephoto.com. Uh, John is somewhat of a, an expert in the online photo buying, selling, sharing uh, industry. And if you haven't heard of the site, type it in right now and go to it if you're at a computer while you're listening to this. Because we're going we're gonna to talk about the industry at large, the you know, the flickers of the world, the smug mugs of the world, and how Pure Photo fits into that space. So a huge welcome to Mr. John Ellis for coming on to the show. Thanks, John. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure. We've been trying to get this interview in for a while, and uh, it's just been... It's been the slippery pig of interviews. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad, glad we got this, got it nailed finally. Well, that, that's a good sign, though. It means we're both busy. Uh, you know, totally, totally. Or just bad time management people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one or the other. So let's just for the folks who may let's let's start with an introduction of who you are and what your background is, and then we'll jump into the to the site itself. So who is John Ellis? Who's John Ellis? Uh, sounds like a deep question, doesn't it? <laughs> if, you, um, if you were a tree, which tree would you be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those interview questions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I basically, um, you know, am, am uh, an online, online advertising guy, if you will. I've uh, spent close to the last decade um, working for some of the larger online advertising networks out there. Um, companies like uh, Yahoo, actually, sort of uh, with them through the Overture uh, acquisition uh, fast click, value click, uh, kind of display and, and search uh, related advertising. Um, but, you know, at my core, honestly, I'm someone who's had a passion about photography all of my life. Um, so uh, Pure Photo for me was kind of a nice way to bring those two things together and, uh, you know, find a way to kind of, you know, merge the passion with uh, the expertise and, and see what we can do to, you know, create something unique in the marketplace. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about that unique in the marketplace. So we've got the, from my perspective, the the heavy hitters, in the photo industry or Flickr and they sort of the Flickr sort of skews more towards consumer and you know masses I just see a giant Flickr Yahoo cloud out there and then on the other side from my perspective is smug mug which is more refined and more pro um, still some some consumer in there but they're more of a more of a pro kind of play um, and less flickery if you will like, like more more uh, refined restaurant versus your fast food restaurant. Where where do you got where do you guys fit in the, into that mix? Well, I, I guess sort of um, you know, given those two uh, members on the spectrum, I'd say maybe somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, clearly we're, we're we're. I guess maybe it's probably worth uh, first just sort of staying, saying saying uh, you know what Pure Photo is. And, sure, please. Yeah, so Pure Photo really is a, a social commerce network um, for discovering, connecting, and collecting original art. And so, you know, what does that mean in, in layman's terms, I guess? We, we bring buyers together who are interested in buying, you know, fine art from photographers, um, whether you're kind of a, a classically trained fine art photographer and that's sort of what you do as a profession or just someone who sort of explores, you know, the fine art end of photography um, and, and sort of brings those buyers together with, with the sellers. And so, you know, Flickr is a, a great sort of repository, if you will, for sort of mass photo archiving and sharing. Um, sometimes it can be a little challenging to navigate and there's uh, obviously been a lot in the news recently about some of the challenges I think they've been facing internally and, and even externally to a certain extent. Yep. 
Um, and, uh, and then you've got Smug Mug kind of on the other end of the spectrum, who I think has done a, a great job building a product platform for building kind of that online web presence, that sort of showcase if you, you know, want that marketing presence and you're a photographer and you have means to essentially drive traffic to, you know, your site, uh, there's sort of a nice place to showcase your work as well. Yeah. Um, what we do is we sort of meld those two things together and uh, kind of think of us almost as a combination of, say, Facebook, Flickr, and, and Etsy, um, and essentially bring those consumers in who are interested buyers and bring the pro photographers in who really want to showcase their work and create that kind of social network environment where, in addition to just sort of browsing the work and doing the social networking aspect where you can follow people and be followed, you also have the opportunity to buy and sell. Um, and so I think that's really kind of a, a unique thing in the marketplace today. We're really kind of the first sort of pure photography uh, network that's doing that. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So you know, taking Flickr out of it because you can't do any commerce or anything. It's, it's a pure social network for, for, for photographers sharing and that sort of thing. But SmugMug, I have a SmugMug account. I've had one for years. Um, and I can put, I can create a gallery on SmugMug that's free that I allow people to, with different levels of permissions. Or I can create one with any number of different pricing schemes that I've set up for, say, models or for weddings or for, you know, just friends and family that I want to be, want them to be able to purchase prints. So how does, how does Pure Photo play into that? Like if I'm a, if I'm being lured over to Pure Photo and I love your gorgeous UI, which I'm looking at right now, and, and I want to be in there, what do you give me that I can't, or that I don't already have available to me? Well, the main thing is those consumers. Um, you know, so SmugMug, you know, for instance, uh, as you, you kind of point out, you can put things up for sale, you can have your own web presence. And if you're a commercial photographer or fine art photographer, um, you know, it's a nice way to showcase your work. However, ultimately, you've got to do a lot of that marketing yourself. You've got to basically drive that traffic into your site yep. and have people buy it through their e-commerce you know, cart on their site. Um, what we tend to get is more of the sort of social shoppers, if you will. And we have, for instance, you know, galleries that have created accounts on Pure Photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have art brokers, um, art critics, kind of other people who are looking for ways to discover you know, new emerging artists. And, um, and so with that ecosystem that we're creating, you're bringing a whole new you know, level of dynamic uh, traffic to the, uh, to the site that as a, as a photographer, you're not going to have to go out and sort of individually you know, market yourself uh, and, uh, and essentially you know, bring a lot new people to the site who may not have gotten exposure before. See, that's, that's really interesting. So yeah, you're right. So I, I could set up my, my account on SmugMug and... and hang out my shingle and say, hey, come buy my, my photograph of the Golden Gate Bridge for X dollars. But I'm responsible for driving all that traffic. And if I don't have a giant social network following to point that fire hose at my print or my my, my uh, shopping cart, I'm not going to get much traction there. So you're saying, so you guys would do that. So if I if I took that photo that I'm so proud of and set up a pure photo account and put that online, then you're going to drive people to it? Is that how it works? Correct. Yeah. So we have, we have a number of different marketing activities that um, are underway, and uh, essentially, you know, as people create accounts um, and we're driving those cons- that consumer traffic in, um, you know, they're getting exposed to a number of different things. Um, so if somebody, for instance, is really into you know abstract fine art or you know pick your category, basically, they're getting exposed to as a buyer, they're getting exposed to a lot of new artists that they wouldn't have gotten exposure to before, and obviously as a seller, you're 
and it, you're, you're now able to find a lot of buyers that you wouldn't have necessarily been able to reach before. Right. So, so John, you're, you're sitting square in the middle of this, this sharing industry, the photo sharing selling industry. What, what's wrong or what, no, that's a, that's a wrong way to position it. What is missing from the industry right now? What, what do photographers need? Cause I know I'm a, I'm a photographer and I, I have different needs depending on the day of the week. Like one day I may need, I may have Instagram needs and the next day I may have pure photo needs and the next day I may have Flickr, you know, so it, it sort of mixes up and we're fickle. What, it, where can I go to have like just one thing to satisfy everything I need? Or is that even possible? <laughs> You uh, you want the Swiss Army knife, I guess. Of uh, I want a I want a Swiss Army knife that that uh, one day it's wood and then the next day it's stainless steel and the next day exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think over time there is going to be a lot of convergence between all of these different sites, um, but right now that doesn't exist. Um, you know, we've we've kind of planted our flag in a particular area, um, as has Smug Mug and Flickr and everybody else. And obviously, with Instagram and other people on the mobile front, there's you know new uh, you know new channels there as well. Um, and I think you know what's going to happen over time is that a lot of that's going to start to cross over, and you know eventually you might end up with maybe one central repository with lots of different channels that you're going to distribute through. Um, but you know we'll see how that kind of evolves over time. Um, I think in some ways, you know, people were talking about mobile for a long time, but until you have the iPad and other aspects you know like that and the sort of great proliferation of devices that we've had recently, you know, mobile really hasn't been kind of on the forefront of anyone's radar uh, for, you know, a while. But, you know, you look at the last couple of years and what's happened in terms of growth. And, uh, and now, of course, everybody's, you know, it's a giant land grab in the mobile space. Yeah. But yeah. I think for the time being, at least, um, you know, you're going to have to play through multiple sites. and You're going to have to kind of look at the people who are sort of doing the best in, the, in their particular areas and uh, and go with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so take me through Pure Photo. I'm at the I'm at the front page right now. I'm at the purephoto.com. Um, I see fine art collections at the top, historic and or national treasures and editions and all sorts of really great shots on here. If I'm a photographer, um, and I am, you know, ironically, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? So if if I have some work, and I know a lot of my friends have work that they want to sell, it's just sort of sitting on their hard drive. They may have toiled away making it perfect, but and then they don't want to put it on Flickr because they don't want it to, you know, they don't want to share it that way, and they don't want to put a price tag on it. This seems like it might be a good way for them to share it. What it, what are the next steps for them? I know I see the sign up now. Then then what? What happens? Right. Well, so um, you know, on the surface, we probably look a lot like a kind of standard photo sharing e-commerce, you know, kind of site. It's sort of geared towards the, the buyer, if you will, at least initially. Um, because obviously people who are posting stuff here want, you know, they're putting up in most cases for sale, um, although not in every case. Um, I don't know what particular images you're seeing there on the, uh, on the front, but if you happen to see a little sort of green buy button next to the images, um, what you'll see is probably a mix of images on the front page there. Some will have the buy button, some will not. Um, and so, you know, some people have created accounts and, and some simply put their photos up there to kind of showcase them within our UI. Um, some have actually put, posted them for sale. And so if the image is for sale, you'll see the green buy button. If not, it's just there to kind of browse and come in and see the work. Um, so what you would do as a photographer, essentially, is create an account with us um, up in the upper right-hand side. You can see the join, join link there. And you would essentially just go in. 
um, create a basic account. It's free. Um, there's a one gig uh, storage limit for the free account. And then we offer um, a premium account that uh, lists for $49 a year for unlimited storage. Um, we're running a, a special on that right now, actually, where it's uh, $29 for the first year. Um, and essentially, you can come in, create your collections, sort of organize your images as you would normally, um, kind of you know, put them in logical groups. So, for instance, if you have abstract photos or travel photos or whatever, um, you would essentially categorize them, um, insert the appropriate tags as you would on sort of any other site. And then we have a little uh, submit button. It looks like a little sort of photo in a frame with a, an up arrow. And you would simply click on that. And then you would choose the pricing tier that you wanted to, you know, select for your uh, your images for sale. And um, essentially, what happens is we've had we have two general areas of the site where images are for sale. So under the buy link, you'll see that. Um, and there's fine art and limited editions, which are kind of the curated sections of the site. And then there's the member collections as well. So anybody can sell within the member collections. There's uh, four different pricing tiers that they can choose from within the member collection. And then they also have the option of submitting their work for um, review um, for the curated section. And so we have an international art advisory board that consists of some art dealers, art critics, a gallery owner, um, a couple esteemed collectors as well, um, who essentially meet a couple times a month. And we take a look at the work uh, that's in there and, um, and essentially you know, review the work that's being submitted and decide if it should be included in the curated section or not. And typically we review... Kind of the, the work of the artists, so we want to look at their background, their bio, where else they've exhibited. Um, we encourage people to also submit, along with their images, um, information about the image itself. And so, for instance, if it's part of a particular collection and you've exhibited it somewhere, um, we want to understand kind of the historical significance. What's the meaning behind the work? The, and that, by the way, that's true not only for the, the, the art that's being posted for sale, but just in general, the types of people that we have on the site are people who are really into the art themselves. So while it's nice to kind of get the ego stroking of, you know, hey, great shot. Um, what <laughs> we really want is we want, you know, we want really that, that more meaningful information. It really helps to push the, uh, the buyers to kind of understand the work. Um, and ultimately, I think, just brings a higher level of dialogue to photography. Um, and that's frankly, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on within Pure Photo. Our, our ultimate mission really is to help people ignite their passion for photography and collecting original art. And so, you know, while it's, it's great to kind of appreciate a, a beautiful photograph, um, we find it's a lot more power, powerful, and I'm sure as a photographer you know this as well, it's a lot more powerful to really understand the meaning behind it and to kind of bring people into the, into the image. And while it probably takes a little more work initially, um, we find that the, the connections that are being made within the, the social networking aspect of Pure Photo and the messaging that kind of happens back and forth among members is uh, is a lot more meaningful than what you'd find kind of on a place like Flickr, for instance. Yeah. Now, now you that was my next question. Just to just to talk about the social networking aspect of this, um, you mentioned in a press release that I that I saw recently about Pure Photo that you were positioning as sort of like the Facebook of photo sharing. Can you go into that a little bit deeper? Well, the the main thing here is um, you know, and I guess just sort of piggybacking on the conversation about uh, Flickr earlier. You know, what's happening with Flickr right now is that you've got Facebook sort of eating more of the mass market, if you will, yeah. of Flickr. So a lot of the social aspects that, that um, Flickr has, I think they've, they've done some things well. Uh, I think their groups, for instance, are very, very powerful. A lot of activity going on in the groups, for instance. A lot of that's getting pulled away, though, to the Facebook side of, of the house. 
And then you've got other sites kind of on the high end sort of addressing the, the pro aspects. Um, we looked at kind of, you know, what's happening with Facebook and uh, Twitter and, and obviously some things that are happening within Flickr as well. And, uh, and said, you know, what's sort of the best user experience for us in terms of social networking? And, um, and for us, that's more of a, I guess, kind of a, a Twitter slash Facebook type of experience than maybe a Flickr type of experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, for instance, you can come in, you can follow artists, you can be followed. Um, we have messaging systems as well, you know, things that essentially you can, you can use to kind of create that dialogue. Um, there's other things that are in the works that I can't necessarily go into right now that's going to be more along the lines of kind of recommendation engines and trying to help build those connections uh, among people and among art um, that will kind of come over time as the site evolves. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're headed, at least in terms of the social networking aspect. Yeah. I, you know, again, I like to just give you a, a thumbs up on the design. I'm looking at the site now and it, it's very clearly focused on the image. You know, I'm looking at, uh, this photographer's page, Martin Stranka and, um, yeah, he's, he's got some great work. It's amazing. Yeah, I feel bad because I don't have anything that looks like what he's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, great photographer, definitely check him out. Martin Stranka. Uh, just a lot of monochromatic uh, studies and, and figure and just abstract. It's really really nice. Yeah, uh, he's a twenty six year old uh, guy from the Czech Republic, and um, and actually he's a he's a great example, honestly, because. He's um, he's already getting some exposure. He's uh, been in, in different uh, contests and stuff in America and stuff like that. But he's the type of guy, you know, he's living, uh, you know, over, overseas um, and has to market himself either through. Uh, first of all, he either has to get a broker or a dealer um, who then has that international exposure and that international connection. Um, they have to then submit a bunch of different work, you know, into uh, a lot of different contests across, well, really around the globe. Um, and, you know, he discovered Pure Photo and was able to come in, submit his work, and essentially now is getting a lot more exposure, you know, not only through our site, but then we also do marketing across Facebook and other aspects like that, where essentially now he can use us to be that sort of central hub and connect into Facebook and connect into other accounts and connect into other, you know, galleries and, and, uh, uh, and other brokers who may want to also look at his work. Uh, and ultimately, you know, help build that collection. And he's a guy who's 26 years old, and I think he's going to have a tremendous future in the, uh, you know, as a fine art photographer. And uh, you know, we're happy that he discovered us. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think definitely the, you know, the the this weekend photo listener should just go poke around the site because just just to get inspired. I'm already inspired just looking, just poking through the site while talking to you. There's all this amazing work in here, and I I say that from from time to time on the show that photographers should. You know, go to places like iStock Photo and now Pure Photo and different places like this to see what other photographers are doing and get inspired and go out and do stuff. You know, because it's there's no other way to get in. I mean, there's there's a million ways to get inspired, but there's no easier way, in my opinion, than just to sit at your computer or on your iPad or on your phone or on your whatever tablet and just look at these images and just be blown away by them. So, yeah, definitely recommend it. So with that, John, what about... um devices so i haven't i haven't tried to hit pure photo on a device so two-part question first part uh are you guys being respectful of the moving trend towards being mobile and viewing sites on the web or or not sites on the web but websites on mobile devices and then secondly you know what about i applications and android applications and that sort of thing are we going to see those coming out of pure photo 
You are, you are. Um, yeah, I mean, mobile is definitely uh, the way to go. And, and, you know, when we think about, you know, bringing exposure to the artists um, and the photographers, I mean, we, we are not just looking at the desktop, obviously. And I think that that's probably true for everyone out there right now. Um, we architected the site from the start, actually, to be compatible with that. So, for instance, you can open up uh, our site on, you know, there's no flash or anything like that. You can literally open it up on an iPad and view it in the very very same experience that you're going to see uh, on the desktop. Uh, the full screen slideshows, everything automatically resize accordingly to uh, to whatever device you're on. In fact, uh, even on my what what now seems relatively small, my little uh, iPhone screen, um, you know, I can still uh, experience the site in uh, in the way it's intended. Really. Cool. Um, but um, but yeah, we've got some ideas actually around uh, various applications and other points of distribution even beyond kind of the the classic mobile devices. Um, when you think about TV and things like that, there's uh, I think some interesting things that could be done in terms of displaying it and sort of new revenue models around that as well um, for artists to, you know, recoup. So right now, for instance, a lot of what we sell and, you know, core piece of our, of our business really is, is selling prints. Um, and we do that because we think it's a great experience to kind of expose people and sort of bring that into their home and sort of have a collectible piece of art, you know, hanging on their wall. Yeah. yeah. But obviously as, as more and more people look to digital art, and look at their TV screens and other mediums, for instance, as a means to kind of display artwork in their home or their office or wherever. Um, we want to, you know, carry those over to the same sort of distribution channels. Um, so we're, we've got some things underway right now to kind of do that, and uh, you'll see more of that coming later this year. That's awesome. So, well, so let's rewind a little bit. Um, PurePhoto.com. A lot of photographers are like, "Well, this is a cool site, but..." I have never heard of these guys. Where, where, <laughs> where, where did Pure Photo come from? And you know, you're you're kind of like coming out of the out of the blue. You know, where what what's the lineage of the site? Well, the lineage. Um, so yeah, so I guess back in 2009, uh, my co-founder and I, Ryan Phillips, uh, got together for lunch. He's a professional photographer, and uh, as I mentioned, kind of my background already. Uh, always loved photography, although wasn't really doing it professionally per se. We got together for lunch one day and kind of started kicking around ideas and um, and initially kind of came up with the concept of creating the sort of publishing platform uh, with some educational content to kind of help people uh, learn how to perfect and publish their images. And we got out there in a beta last year, kind of just testing it a little bit and getting, you know, market feedback and seeing, you know, how things were going. And, um, you know, and, and during that time, we actually launched an e-commerce store just also kind of as a test because we're getting feedback from people saying like, you know, well, really the reason I want to publish stuff is to actually to sell it. And so we started looking at the market a little bit and looking at the size of the market opportunity and also just really talking to the the people who are using the site already and, um, and realized that, you know, that really, I think was a a core differentiator for us. And so we basically evolved the site. Sorry. We, um, we basically just, you know, went through an evolution on the site and reworked it into, you know, what we have today. And so we've been sort of quietly growing, I guess, uh, since the uh, second quarter, third quarter of last year. Um, and, uh, and we kind of feel like, okay, well, we're finally out of beta and it's time to, uh, you know, start spreading the news. And so, uh, so here we are. That's wonderful. All right. All right. So here's the last question. Um, looking forward, you know, pull out your time machine, you know, and we are in, say, 2013. 
right now where assuming the world doesn't end in 2012 in 2013 what is pure photo going to look like what's what's the what's the goal for you know the next two years well like i said uh, a lot of evolution on the site um a lot of growth in terms of members i mean we really view this as a movement um and i know sometimes that can be you know overstated marketing speak um but, you know, as I said, we really want to ignite people's passion for photography and collecting original art. And um, there's this growing trend of, of people wanting to move beyond kind of the, the, the kind of stuff you get by at Z Gallery. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I have a few pieces from Z Gallery in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of you know, mainstream art, um, you're seeing people look for something that's a little more unique in their homes. And photography is a great, a, a great asset for that, I think. And, uh, and obviously, a lot of people are very passionate about photography already. And so I think we want to bring together that marketplace and really just foster this movement of people who are really into the, the art of photography and really want to bring a passion back to it beyond just sort of what's being done with, you know, you know point-and-shoot cameras and stuff like that today. Again, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting art even that's coming out of that. But a lot of sort of disposable photography, if you want to call it that as well, yeah. um, where you've got uh, you know, just people taking tons and tons of photos and not really sort of appreciating what they can do with the medium. And so we want to kind of bring that appreciation back both for buyers and for people who are photographers themselves. And I think if we, we build that ecosystem among people who are really interested in it, give them lots of multiple points of distribution, um, you know, I think uh, hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, I'd love to say we're going to be the next Flickr, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But certainly uh, a, a nice sort of evolution of that. Let's put it that way. All right. Here, here's the last question here. Um, what is the most important focus of Pure Photo, the site, Pure Photo, the company? And I'll narrow it down for you. Is it photography slash photographers or social media distribution and becoming and allowing people to share and sort of go viral with imagery? Um, interesting angle. Well, I mean, for me, it's really the photographers, um, that, I mean, that, that's core, right? Without that and without having people who are passionate behind it and sort of getting behind that movement, uh, you don't have much. <laughs> um, so ultimately that, that is core. Uh, the distribution to me is sort of a means to an end. It's the way you sort of spread the word and, and help people, you know, get involved with, uh, with the artists who are on the site. Um, so, you know, I guess if I had to sort of pick one over the other it's definitely going to be the photographer but but in the end they both sort of work hand in hand yeah no absolutely i knew you were going to say that i just sort of loaded, <laughs> i loaded it like that for you well, <laughs> of course it's the photographer you know? of course of yeah, course yeah well john thank you so much for taking the time uh this evening to to have this conversation with me i love pure photo it's a great site definitely gonna gonna lose lots of hours poking around in there and i i definitely encourage the this week in photo listeners to get in there and poke around and set up accounts and play around with it uh themselves so where where can people like well, we know about purephoto.com but if people are interested in interacting with you is there a specific place they can look online or you have a twitter feed and all that stuff well um they can even message me within uh within pure photo um but uh but yeah so i'm uh i'm on facebook as well uh as well as uh I don't actually have a Twitter thing. I've, on a personal level, I've never really gotten into the Twitter aspect. I know there's almost like two camps, but uh, for me, it's always been Facebook. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so people can find me on, on Facebook. Uh, my, uh, my name on there, I guess, is uh, the vanity domain, uh, John, J-O-H-N dot L-S-E-L-L-I-S 777. I guess I wasn't uh, 
I wasn't wasn't early enough to uh, stay up that night. Though. They were giving out the vanity <laughs> domains to get the first one. Yeah, you said um, John Ellis seven seven seven. No doubts, no space. I think is what it is. Yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, but yeah, you, you, I mean, honestly, the easiest place to find me is on Pure Photo, and then from there you can just click on my uh, my Facebook link and uh, you know connect with me that way. There you go. I'm clicking on it right now. Well, John, again, thanks for thanks for coming on this week in photo. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, that was John Ellis of PurePhoto.com. Be sure to head over and check out their new site. It's a fresh take on photo sharing. All right, guys, every week our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum, and they find the best questions for us to answer on the show, and there's some pretty good ones this week. Nicole, I'm going to throw this first one to you. You want to take it away? I got it. All right, this is uh, from way back. I'm assuming that's a username (laughs) (laughs) so uh he or she says i'd like to gain some experience shooting models and rather than imposing on my friends i'd like to do shoots with professional models on a time for pics or time for cd basis uh while i understand the standard model release it's not clear how tf shoots work in that regard so i assume both photographers and the model would expect to be able to use the pictures in their portfolios on their websites at metal mayhem and in their career promoting uh, uses without getting any further permission or making a payment. But mm-hmm. if by chance a photographer had the opportunity to sell the pics, would he be obligated to pay the model something? Okay, there's a little bit more of the question. Hold on. Also, I assume the model would not be entitled to do anything with the pics beyond the promotional uses, but would that also include any editing of the pics? And is she obligated to give attribution to the photographer for all uses? Okay. So in a nutshell, it basically asks, sounds like this person's asking about how do you, how do you work the model release or how does it work when you're doing a TFCD or a TFP uh, shoot, which is basically just you're taking pictures of a model and then they are able to use the photos and you're able to use the photos. And with what I do, I have a lot of photos of people. Most of my photos in my stock portfolio are actually people at the moment. And uh, I have to have model releases with them. And a lot of them uh, in the past have been TFCD uh, photos. So, they they sign a model release for me and then I'm able to use the photos. And what it really boils down to is you kind of get to decide in the model release how the photos are going to be used. You know, whether the – for my case, you know, I, I only allow the, the models to use them for portfolio use, like putting on Facebook or printing or, you know, showing them to people. Uh, really, that's just, you know, for their own personal promotional use – and aside from that, they can't do anything commercial with them. And that's just, that's just how my model release says it because that's, it's an iStock release. And, uh, it, but it basically gives me and anyone who licenses the image any use commercially to some – obviously, there are some limitations. But So do you have – Nicole, do you have, a, you have a standard Nicole sort of contract or model release that you hand to them when you shoot them? Or do you do it digitally? Because I know there, there are iPhone apps that allow you to do model releases on the spot and that sort of thing. How do you manage that? Well, I, all, I do all paper releases because as far as I know, I don't think that uh, iStock Photo will accept digital releases yet. Mm, okay. And I don't know if that'll change or not. But um, just to be safe, I always have, a, you know, I always do the paper copy. I scan it, you know, so I have a, a hard copy and I have a soft copy of it. Yeah, I tend to do the same, scan it in and, and yeah. throw it into Evernote so it lives there forever. All right, cool. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, question number two, I'm going to toss it over to Joseph. All righty. So Glenn has written in, he is asking about flash photography. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase 
paraphrase a bit here, but he's basically saying, how do you properly expose using Flash? If he's if you're inside and want to use the Flash, uh, do you use program, do you use automatic, do you use shutter, do you use manual? What is the best mode to use? And the problem that he's run into is setting to, for example, aperture priority um, and setting an aperture. The camera is metering without expectations that the flash is going to fire and so you're getting let's say a you know at f5.6 you might be getting a half a second long exposure because you're in low light and that's just not going to work and so what is the right thing to do so basically for me when it comes to flash photography i'm either if i just don't want to think about it i'm just going to go p program just let it go because i don't have time to deal with it don't want to think about it but of course that's not usually the case the case usually is that i do want to think about it and i do want to get what i want out of it and i have found that trying to figure out how to get the camera to work in shutter or after priority mode just is a more hassle than it's worth it's actually better and easier to go into full manual mode for the exposure settings on the camera and that the flash do its thing in automatic. So on the Canon, that's the ETTL mode, and on the Nikon, I believe it's ITTL. Is that right, Frederick? Yes. Uh, yeah. So basically, put the camera in manual, and then let the ca- uh, the flash balance everything else out. So if you're in a situation indoors where you want shallow depth of field, you can set your f 2.8 or whatever it may be. You want a long shutter speed because you want to have all that ambient light in the background fill in. Set the manual exposure the way you want it and then point the flash at your subject and the flash will do the right thing. Uh, Conversely, if you wanted to make the background disappear, make it go black, even if you're shooting outdoors, you can go into manual mode, put your flash into high speed mode, for example. Uh, You'll have to do this if you're going to go over 250th of a second. But put your flash in high speed mode, set your camera at, say, a thousandth or two thousandths or four thousandths of a second and fire outdoors in full sun and the background will disappear. It will just completely go away. Yeah. So – um, but manual is the way to go. Set the camera to manual. Take control. Set your shutter speed the way you want it for your ambient light. Set your aperture the way you want it for your depth of field. And the flash will do its thing from there. And that's yeah, all there is to it. And for Glenn, I would recommend – he's shooting Canon. So I would – Silarina just put out a new book called mm-hmm. The Speedlighter's Handbook. And I would definitely – it's like the Bible for people that shoot – that are that have this very question. It demystifies everything about shooting with Canon strobes and even some Nikon stuff. So um, definitely check that out. It's from Silarina. It's on Amazon. Just search for Silarina and look for the look for the red hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve, I wanted to have you piggyback on this because along with the Canon, you know, all the power that you know with ETTL and all that magic on the Nikon side, there's this thing called the Creative Lighting System or the CLS. How does that play in? And do you do you use that? Uh, yeah, I do. The CLS system uh, is a wireless triggering of, of Nikon flashes. Uh, the one downside to to the to the CLS is that it's an infrared line of sight firing, which means that if you have your thumb covering the little window or if the flash is a little bit away from uh, either your camera that triggers it because some of the Nikon cameras have a commander mode or you can use a, a flash or a commander to do it, it's not as reliable as, as let's say, using a, a radio slave, which I think a lot of professionals uh, tend to depend on because because it's dependable. But yeah. I, th- I think Joseph, um, you know, explained it. it you know, the, you got to sort of follow that Joe McNally strobus bus because this is just something that I think a lot of photographers uh, want to get a handle on. It's really not that complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really just, you know, two exposures, one for the flash and then the shutter speed um, will either lighten or darken uh, the ambient light, depending on on what you're you're dealing with in in whatever situation you're in, but uh, I, I think that that's always the the kind of place I ended up with is you almost have to because I found it really confusing at first too, and 
frustrated the heck out of me. But I, I think you almost have to think of it like you've got two separate things going on there. You got your camera doing the metering uh, of the overall scene, and then you got your flash doing its own thing, and they kind of end up mixing together at the end of it all. If I can just recommend, there's a website um, that is called photonotes.org. Mm. Um, and there's articles up there, but there's probably the best sort of just general description of how the Canon uh, ETTL system thinks up on that. So so that that's also a good resource if you don't want to dive into the full-on uh, learning everything about you know all kinds of different flash stuff. You just want to get the basics of how does this thing think because it is kind of odd. Yeah, yeah. Cool, great answers. Hey, Ron, you're on a roll. Why don't you take uh, question number three? Sure. Uh, listener Thomas Blampied writes, A few months ago I was approached by a Canadian railway magazine who wanted to use some of my shots. I agreed the payment was to be in the form of a free copy of the publication. I have recently learned that the photos were used, credited in someone else's name, and I have not received a copy of the magazine. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> oh. Wow. Uh, is this a case of live and learn? Should I follow up with the editor? Uh, he says very much, you know, photography is very much a hobby uh, for him, but what can he do here? Yeah, it's, you should definitely follow up with the editor. I mean, the thing is, I, and I've had this exact same situation uh, happen as well, where you get these these requests out of the blue from some low-budget or no-budget scenario, and they want to use it, and they say they'll be happy to credit you and give you a copy of the magazine. And as often as not, uh, these guys are a bit flaky anyway, just in terms of being a small operation that's probably not terribly well-organized. And, you know, if, if, they, if they can't afford to pay for real photography or high-end photography, commissioned photography or anything like that, or good stock photos, then you can kind of assume that they're probably a little bit uh, disorganized in other areas as well. But yeah, absolutely. Get back in touch with them. Tell them you want it. You know, chances are, if they did screw up and miscredit you, they'll they'll do a a correction as well. But it's probably you know may or may not be worth it. You know, I I mean I've had it everything from the really flaky ones like like this up to something. I think I told the story a while back about Playboy magazine publishing um, some of my photos and uh, they just found on the website and wanted to use. <laughs> And, what do you um, have on your website, Ron? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it, Nicole. <laughs> the, the problem with this story is that any more detail I give now will make it much less interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll just stop there and let our imaginations run wild. <laughs> photos of sushi, but uh, oh. <laughs> like, and I mean literally sushi. Not anyway. Is that a metaphor? Okay. Is that a euphemism? Thanks, Ron. All right. I don't know. Um, but point being, even even with Playboy, it took them uh, like six months to send me the comp copies. I mean, they paid for it as well, and that, that they paid relatively quickly. But then the, the comp copies that, of course, I wanted for the article, uh, <laughs> it, it take quite a few months to show up as well. So, yeah, you know, this is, I just get back in touch with them, and I suspect a lot of people have these same scenarios. Awesome. Great run. That's, that's a great answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're at but, the- I, but I will say, if anybody else needs Playboy level photography, please get in touch with me. There you go. Ron is always available for, uh, for sushi photographs. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're at the pick of the week time. This is where each guest can give their pick. It can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography related. I am not going to start with Mr. Steve Simon because I'm going to let him scramble and find his pick of the week while we, st- while we start with Nicole. Nicole, what's your pick? 
My pick is Photoshop World. All right, here Yay, we go. Photoshop World. Wait, you uh, do this every year. You pick the same thing this time every I year. Probably, I probably pick it twice a year because they have it twice a year. Do you go to this, both? No, I've only been to the Vegas one. Oh, okay. Uh, that's just a, small, a short drive for me, you know, and I don't have to, like, fly and stuff. But yep. No, but I would totally go to Orlando. It'd be really cool to go see that one. But anyways, Photoshop World, uh, if you are – well, it's for the National Association of Photoshop Professionals. And if you actually go, then you automatically become a member for a year because it's included in the registration. If you're a member, then, of course, it's discounted. Um, this – it's in March. It's at the end of March. And it's basically, like, three – Packed days of all-you-can-eat Photoshop and photography and design and a little bit of Illustrator and probably some other stuff in there that I don't remember. But it's really fun. These the, the people over at NAP make this make Photoshop. I mean, it's fun anyways, but they make it, like, really, really fun. Um, you know, it's Scott Kelby and the gang. The, the keynotes so. are usually a spectacle, right? Oh, I mean, my gosh. <laughs> it's like a show. I went to yeah, – I've been there the last three years. And let's see, last – this most recent year, it uh, it was Kiss. <laughs> so they all got out on stage dressed in complete full Kiss, you know, the makeup, the the ten inch boots or whatever, wow. and standing up there and playing. And it was, you know, I think they, I think it was, I want to Photoshop all day, and I can't remember. <laughs> they they made some twists on the, you know, I want to. Let me guess, and- Scott Kelby was Simmons, right? <laughs> oh, probably. I'm sure he was. <laughs> So it was it was a blast and they, yeah they they make it really fun so I'd re- highly recommend it. it's it's photoshopworld.com go check it out and uh, if you're you know if you have a three or four days free and you can get off work then it's really awesome go. feel like feel like hanging out in Las Vegas for a little while yeah, yeah. well yeah like this uh, this upcoming one is in Orlando and then the Vegas one I think is the first week in September got it so I will I'm planning on being there in Vegas. Got it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Ron Brinkman, what is your pick of the week? My pick is an iPhone app. Apologies to everybody that that doesn't apply to. Um, But this is is more of a little fun. I have no problem buying apps that are sort of just kind of fun and or interesting. Uh, And for me, that tends to mean not Angry Birds kind of stuff, but weird uh, (laughs) computational photography applications instead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So Mark Lavoie is a professor at Stanford, and he does a whole lot of computational photography work. But he's got an iPhone app called SynthCam that is sort of this uh, technique for kind of simulating deep depth of field using the camera in the, in the, uh, in the iPhone. Uh, and you kind of point to your image, and then you sort of move the camera around a little bit, and it does this uh, uh, averaging, very smart averaging of images. And the net result is that you can get uh, what looks like a very narrow depth of field using the iPhone camera. Uh, and it looks pretty good in some situations. And there's also a lot of kind of fun, funky things you can do by moving the camera in different methods. But, I mean, it's literally simulating by moving your camera around just slightly. It's as if you have a larger aperture it's like you're painting across a larger aperture to get this sort of thing. That's so cool. it's fun to play with. He's got all kinds of cool ideas for where it's going to go next. Um, I think he's prototyping sort of a, a tilt-shift sort of thing. And, and again, this is not, it's not just doing like a post-process blur. It's actually doing the proper math behind the scenes uh, to simulate what a real larger aperture or tilt-shift kind of camera would do. The tilt-shift stuff is not out yet, but I've seen some... Uh, examples of where he thinks it's going to get when he does it. So it's 99 cents. 
synth cam and like i said it's it's a it's a toy and as much as anything although you can end up with some very cool images out of it but it takes a little bit of playing around and trial and error very cool all right ron thanks you, you just cost me 99 cents cause I I yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm about to push it down yeah, like, like i said you know some people go do angry birds and i play with weird camera technology we're, we're getting a we're getting an image of your uh of what goes on down there ron <laughs> <laughs> thanks all right joseph what is your pick of the week all right so i had to throw two in here sorry the first one because neither one are, are directly photography related but the first one is the macbook air um I, I got the 11 inch a couple months ago and i bought it specifically because i was doing so much traveling and had a lot of work to do that i couldn't do on the plane uh flying economy class with a 15 inch macbook pro is just not a good way to get any work done you live in fear of the person in front of you putting their seat back and taking the lid off your screen and pushing the the laptop against your belly while you try to type so it's just went, rude when people recline i hate that I know. Yeah. What are people try, try the seventeen inch. Then you're in real uh, trouble. Yeah, not so much. So, uh, so I got the eleven inch, and of course, everybody wants to know how does it work for you know. In my case, I'm using Aperture, of course, and I'm happy to report that it is remarkable. Um, I, while I wouldn't want to do any major photo editing on it, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to get into brushes and things like that. That'll definitely slow it down. But for an actual photo edit of running through your pictures, picking out the best shots, doing some basic work to them, you know, just basic image correction and sticking them up on online or, or whatever you're going to do with them uh, it works great it's um you know obviously it's not as fast as the pros especially the new pros god those things are, are crazy fast but the the fact that it's a solid state drive makes up uh, a for a lot of that speed and it's the huge. machine just feels very very fast and i am thrilled to pieces with it it is the by far my favorite computer that i you know that i've ever owned it's just a great little piece wow um, have you done much this, Photoshop with it? I know you kind of said you probably wouldn't do a lot of heavy stuff, but what's your experience you know, when you I, try I hardly use Photoshop anymore to the point I haven't even installed it on there. I've got Photoshop on my iMac, but all the photo editing that I do, I do in Aperture, and it's for that, it's just fine. Like mm-hmm. I said, you know, I, I haven't really – if I've, I've have fired up brushes on there in Aperture, and you do definitely feel a little bit of a slowdown there. Um, but, you know, shooting 22 megapixel files and trying to run a thousand pixel brush across it is probably not exactly <laughs> kind to this little 11 inch screen, uh, to this 11 inch processor. But it's it's been great for all the basic use. Uh, and then the other thing is kind of funny, it actually does tie into that in a way, is something called Air Display. And this is a iPad, well, it's an iPhone and iPad app, but really this is for the iPad. What it does is it allows your iPad to become a second display. So if you're using the 11-inch MacBook Air and you need a little extra screen real estate or you simply need a second screen for whatever reason, this thing over Wi-Fi becomes a second display. Hmm. And it's so clever. It's 10 bucks. It works perfectly. They actually just had an update to help it work even better over flaky networks. But um, I've been doing some stuff recently where I needed a second screen, and it works beautifully. And the reason I, I throw it into the photo mix is because if you're working with an app like Aperture, you can actually put a second, put your second screen on that and hand it to a client and have them see the pictures that you're controlling on your end. So if you've got people sitting on your couch and you want them to look at your display, you instead of having them, them having to see your entire interface, you can just throw the pictures that you want to their screen from your Desktop. What kind of lag time do you see with that? Oh, it, microseconds. Really? As you, yeah, yeah, as you drag a window over to it, like if I've got it sitting on my desktop and I drag a window from my main screen over to the iPad, it's a, it's like a fifteen second, uh, fifteen frame per second movement. You know, there's a little bit of a stutter. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. It's so ah. cool. Wow. All right. This, this is. Uh, I'll just. I don't have an iPad, so I don't have this app. But these are the same guys that do uh, the uh, air sharing. 
app, Avatron. Got it. Which yeah, I think a lot it. of people have used. It's Dave Howell, who used to be at Apple, I worked with him for several years there, and uh, he does really well thought out, but and and sort of uh, solid, solid software. So it's uh, like I said, I don't have an iPad, so I don't have this, but I can definitely recommend the company uh, cool. that makes it. All right, Steve. Uh, I know you were kind of a allegedly impromptu added guest into the show. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's so much stuff. Uh, I will uh, because I'm in Dubai. I'm going to be teaching one of the, the workshops. One of the little classes I'm doing is an aperture class. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do a shout out for uh, I ain't no aperture expert like Joseph, <laughs> but I did want to shout out um, one of his ebooks, and that's the uh, 15 tips on file management. Because as we know, with our growing archives, file management is so important because it helps contain things, and, and you, you have to have a, a good strategy for backing up. And if you're an Aperture user like, like me, um, there's just some there's great stuff on his site, on the ApertureExpert.com site, but this particular ebook um, is great, and I'm going to be um, looking through it on the plane in preparation for my, my class in Dubai. Wow. Oh, I, thank you. Well, thank you very much. You know, you could just, I could go with you and help you teach it. <laughs> that would be, that be even as well. better. Absolutely. <laughs> Joseph and I were at Macworld together. That was a lot of fun. But That was um, fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, come. Come. Very cool. <laughs> I'm not paying, though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so jo- Joseph ain't going then. <laughs> and the other shit drops. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. And quickly, my pick is, based on the, the interview that uh, folks may have just heard, is purephoto.com. Definitely head over to those guys and just browse around their site there's a lot of stunning photography in there there's a lot of curated beautiful images that if nothing else like i was saying in that interview serve to just inspire you for your own photography just like iStock and and other sites like that so check them out at purephoto.com all right we are once again at the end of another fantastic this week in photo nicole young aka nicole z where can people find you online you can find me on Twitter, Nicolesy, it's N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y, and I also blog at com. Awesome. Ron Brinkman, where are you at? You may find me on Twitter, it's probably the best thing, Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Two N's, always. What's that? What's with that trailing in, man? What is that? It's the proper, <laughs> proper German spelling of the word man. Got it. Awesome. And Joseph Lenaski, where can people find you? Well, I'm going to throw out a slightly modified URL. This is Aperture Expert, but go to ApertureExpert.tv. It Ooh. is the launch point for our new online training and also for the podcast that has been resurrected. It is a, a visual version of the tips are all being recorded on there. So you have live training and a podcast for Aperture is back. Very cool. That's ApertureExpert.tv. There you go. All right. And you're on Twitter at ApertureExpert as well, right? You got it. Very cool. Steve Simon, where are you at, or where would you like people to go to find out what you're up to? Well, I'm going to be at gulfphotoplus.com. Still some slots left in in my workshop, so if you're going to be in Dubai, uh, drop on by. And I've started uh, working with naconiansacademy.com. I'm doing some Naconians workshops, and I'm going to be in Toronto when I come back from uh, Dubai doing a passionate photographer workshop, as well as some camera-specific ones. And they can check them out at NikonianSacademy.com. Got it. Very cool. And to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to ThisWeekInPhoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And also, don't forget, if you're interested in writing or reporting 
on the photography industry for TWIP, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com forward slash contribute. Or alternatively, you can just shoot us a quick note at contribute at thisweekinphoto.com. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alusa Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.